Jack. Right. Um, well, I'm not going to um, go over the whole history of the monarchy, um, its political significance. That was last week. And I think we've um, had a reasonable um, coverage of um, that question um, in this week's uh, weekly worker. So what to say? Well, the, the, the first thing I think that, I mean, we we're, doing, we're gonna deal with the monarchy. I, I don't think we can avoid that uh, subject. First thing I'm gonna deal with, I think, is the numbers. And um, I've got no reason uh, to doubt um, you know, reports of uh, two million people um, have queued up to um, file past, um, you know, the coffin of um, Elizabeth uh, Windsor. And uh, that isn't just a question of, you know, you, you arrive and you, um, you pop in and it takes you five minutes. We're talking about queues that go on and on and on throughout uh, uh, central uh, London and uh, can uh, involve waiting uh, for uh, 10, 12, 13, 14 uh, hours. And indeed, the authorities at various points um, have um, blocked um, the queue. So 2 million people um, wanting to what? Pay their respect, be part of history, join in some sort of um, moment of um, social solidarity, um, the curious, um, or there'll be all sorts of different reasons uh, why people um, are, are going there. Um, but I do think that um, at least from our angle, one, we wanna take these people seriously. They are, you know, not just a phenomenon, um, they are a political factor uh, that you need to account for. Um, and I think myself that um, as a sweeping genera generality, uh, I would um, classify these people as being um, enthusiastic uh, monarchists. So, yes, I admit that they will be the curious and uh, um, you know, all manner of different reasons. But I think that given that you have to queue uh, for so long in order to um, file past uh, the coffin, I think it's pretty safe to say that these people are monarchists. Um, but I'd also say um, that um, these people would tend to be, not exclusively by any stretch, but would tend to be from the southeast um, or London. Um, just by, you know, logistics. Um, and I also think you can say that um, as well as having that percentage of the population, I don't know what percentage, who, who you could describe as enthusiastic monarchists, you'll have a big other lump, the majority uh, that are more pacifist uh, monarchists, the people who just um, accept, well, we have seven days in the week, we have a, a weekend consisting of Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we also have a monarch uh, that used to be called um, Elizabeth II, and now we have a monarch uh, that's Charles III, shrug of shoulders. But people who don't question uh, the monarchy as an institution, accept it as a fact of life, um, uh, and uh, are more interested uh, in getting on uh, with their lives. So for example, um, I think I said this uh, last week, the day that the, um, the monarch died, I was traveling uh, from East End of London to, uh, well, not the West End, but from East London to West London. And um, there were a load of people on the train uh, with me uh, who are coming back from the West Ham match. Uh, that's uh, a match um, held in the former Olympic Stadium um, in Stratford. And what dominated their conversation um, was, yeah, the Queen, uh, but will the match be cancelled? Will next week's match uh, be cancelled? And they were looking at their phones, uh, talking about the match. I don't know who won, <laughs> I wasn't that interested. Uh, but then, oh, 
went throughout uh, the train, it's been cancelled. And they were more interested uh, in the football than they were in the monarch. Now, that doesn't make them anti-monarchists, but I think that that, that would uh, make them, as I said, you know, pacifist uh, monarchists. They just accept that Britain is a monarchy uh, and uh, they've got more important things um, in their lives, <laughs> like West Ham uh, United, uh, uh, for example. Um, but as well as um, that pacifist majority, or, uh, you, know, I, you know, they don't really care uh, particularly about the monarchy, uh, and that uh, I would suggest um, more militant pro uh, monarchists. You've also got, we're told, a Republican minority uh, in, in Britain and the, the figures I've read for what they're worth, you know, when they've done opinion uh, polls is something like 20%. Now, again, you've got, um, how should we put it, uh, the, the sort of pacifist um, uh, end of that, people who just basically don't approve um, of, you know, hereditary positions, think, think that it's some sort of feudal uh, leftover but, you know, aren't particularly concerned uh, about getting uh, rid of the monarchy or objecting uh, to the monarchy. But as well as them, there's a tiny minority, and I think we can um, safely say a tiny minority that are uh, concerned uh, about the monarchy being undemocratic and indeed uh, posing a danger uh, to uh, what democratic rights uh, we actually have. Uh, one uh, uh, in in Britain. Okay, so uh, meanwhile we've had uh, the media full of uh, monarchy, 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 monarchy. Um, I'm told uh, that on BBC it's being toned down slightly. Um, you know, other things actually are making it into the news, like the um, the Swedish uh, general election little events, um, you know, in, in a country which we know little about. Ukraine uh, also uh, finds its way in. But overwhelmingly, uh, it's dominated by the queue, uh, by people filing past about whether Harry is going to wear a military uniform. Um, you know, I, I don't know how they dig up the stories uh, but they, they seem to come up with new angle, new angle, new angle. And if they can't find a new angle, uh, then they just carry on uh, repeating the old uh, uh, stuff. Uh, and that's true for papers and that's true uh, for the um, you know, radio uh, and uh, uh, TV. There have been those that have um, raised their voices uh, either deliberately uh, or by, by accident in some way and received, uh, um, you know, um, some sort of um, media slapdown uh, to uh, come to my mind immediately. That's Will Self, the novelist. Um, he's of the school. Once uh, Elizabeth II is dead, we ought to get rid of the monarchy. Well, it's too late, Will. Uh, she is dead. Uh, we've got Charles uh, uh, III. Um, so uh, what are you going to do now? Wait for Charles III to die uh, before we get rid of the monarchy. And there's also uh, a former footballer, um, radio, I think radio talk sport or something like that, a guy called Trevor Sinclair, who got it in the ear uh, for not uh, paying due respect uh, to the monarchy. And even Jeremy Corbyn. Meek and mild, uh, uh, Jeremy apparently has been um, slammed uh, by the Daily Mail. Why? Uh, not because of anything he said. Uh, he actually did send his condolences and uh, talked about what he had in common uh, with Elizabeth Windsor, which is apparently a fondness for making jam. Do you believe it? I don't know. Uh, but no, apparently Jeremy Corbyn showed disrespect for not turning up to the Privy Council acclamation uh, of Charles uh, III. I don't know how many members of the Privy Council there are, but as a throwaway guess, I'd say 100, 150. Uh, in other words, as the former leader of the Labour Party, 
uh, he went to Buckingham Palace, bowed at the knee in front of um, Elizabeth Windsor and promised to serve her faithfully, uh, just in case he was elected, um, you know, in 2019 <laughs> or whatever, with a thumping majority and uh, would be a potential prime minister. Either way, he's a member of this um, Privy Council, which is uh, not, ju not just something that's symbolic, that actually has real uh, potential uh, powers, uh, you know, like martial law and other things uh, like that. He, he, as I say, he didn't turn up. Well, he would have got a very friendly reception, uh, wouldn't he, uh, from this um, ultra-monarchist um, uh, group. Uh, you can imagine him being greeted as an old friend by his uh, uh, former colleague, um, Keir Starmer, and uh, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, who are also members of the Privy Council. I can't blame him as an individual uh, for turning up to what was a purely ceremonial um, thing. But it shows you the sort of moral terrorism uh, that's operating uh, in Britain for anyone, um, you know, who gets out of line uh, um, over the monarchy. Anyone, you know, in terms of an MP, uh, media personality, sports personality you are not meant to step out of line and if you do um you are really inviting uh, thunderbolts and uh, lightning okay so there have been um in wales and in scotland some organized protests um but by groups of what five people six people in london um you know as um andrew um, you know, marches by. Some people are shouting rude names uh, at him. Some people uh, are even shouting down with the monarchy. Um, what happens is they're instantly uh, arrested. Uh, and indeed, in um, some protests, uh, people are actually holding up um, blank uh, sheets, you know, a bit like in uh, Moscow uh, against Putin. And they're suffering the same fate as uh, people who are objecting to the special military operation are suffering the police pounce on them and uh, arresting, are arresting them uh, for uh, behavior likely to cause a breach of the peace. So in uh, democratic Britain, uh, we have the same sort of, um, how should we put it, um, lack of toleration uh, of protest um, as you do in Putin's Russia. Um, I had a, this is this is this is not a, a scientific uh, survey, and I didn't try very hard. But I thought it was worthwhile uh, just looking around what the left uh, in Britain is saying uh, about um, uh, the monarchy. And so I went to the site of Momentum. Momentum is a group that was established by supporters of Jeremy Corbyn when he was elected. It was established by. Um, how she put it, um, Corbynites, uh, let's put it um, uh, like that. And so I, I went to that site because at one point this was a very sizable um, organization boasted of 30,000 members in uh, the Labour Party. And I thought, well, at least I'll get some sort of idea given how important this uh, death is uh, and how important, you know, getting two million people um, out in a queue and a million people are expected tomorrow uh, in London for the funeral uh, itself, as well as, I don't know, is it a hundred heads of state uh, that are arriving uh, in Britain? I thought I'd get some sort of insight. I actually couldn't find anything. Now, maybe uh, I, I haven't gone to the wrong uh, site, uh, but I, I, I did look, I Googled it. I've gone to their own website. I've looked for press statements and um, all, all the rest of it. As far as I can tell, uh, Momentum is saying nothing. All they're concerned with is the forthcoming uh, Labour Party conference up in Liverpool uh, at the end um, of uh, this month. And doesn't it start actually, not the end of this month, the middle uh, of this month. So it starts actually, I think Thursday, if I'm right. Either way, that's what is on there. Uh, mind. So nothing about the monarchy, uh, nothing about the death um, of the head of state. 
Um, I understand uh, that the Labour Representation Committee actually decided that it was too early uh, uh, to comment on, on this question. So there's nothing uh, that I know of on their um, Red Lines TV. This is the um, fortnightly video uh, replacement for their um, print journal, uh, Labour uh, Briefing. So as far as I know, they haven't said uh, anything. I know uh, that one of the co-presenters um, on Red Lines TV, when it was suggested, um, we're one of the movers um, in this, that we have this event in Liverpool for the Labour Party conference called Beyond the Fringe. Um, when it was suggested um, by some comrade that, well, we should have a session surely on the monarchy. This is actually before the death, of course. Um, Jackie Walker, um, who's a co-presenter uh, of Red Lines TV, objected and said, uh, no, the monarchy is an irrelevance and uh, we don't want to waste our time uh, with the monarchy. Uh, uh, to me, it shows you why precisely discussing the monarchy isn't a waste of time uh, in terms of what I said last week and also what I've said uh, this week. You know, a million people in London uh, tomorrow. Uh, that's not a nothing. That's, that's the same sort of size royalist manifestation uh, as we got against the Iraq war when the ruling class was split down the middle um, on the question of whether to join the Americans uh, in an invasion. Remember, you know, the Secret Service, the parties, uh, parliament was split um, on this question. And with the encouragement of uh, sections of the press and sections of the media, a million plus uh, people turned out. Anyway, I don't think uh, myself that the royalty is an irrelevance uh, because not only uh, did we get um, loads of people out um, on the streets, we also uh, of course got uh, trade unions such as uh, ASLEF, the um, drivers, uh, train drivers union, RMT, the transport um, union that uh, organises the majority of rail workers. We've got the CWU um, in Royal Mail, um, they all called off their strikes. All, all these strikes uh, were called off um, out of respect uh, for Her Majesty. Um, so the idea uh, that this is um, an irrelevance that we shouldn't be talking about, it, it shows you the relevance of the monarchy, because what we want, surely, in the future is a situation as we had in the 1830s, when I think it was George IV died, uh, the London proletariat celebrated. Uh, that's what we want. Not because, uh, you know, we, um, uh, how should we it, uh, have got some bloodlust or um, anything like that, but they celebrate the death of a hated monarch. Um, and what we had is, of course, the rise of Chartism. And did they call off strikes? No. Did they demonstrate in tiny numbers? No, uh, they demonstrated on mass. Okay, looking around uh, the rest of the left, we've got this grouping of so-called uh, left uh, MPs. They call themselves the Socialist um, Campaign uh, Group. Um, I suppose that still includes Jeremy Corbyn, uh, but you don't get photographs of them now alongside Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, because Jeremy Corbyn is suspended um, from the parliamentary uh, Labour Party. Either way, uh, what you had is either silence uh, from the socialist campaign group or various individuals amongst the socialist campaign group basically sending the same sort of uh, message um, as, Keir, as Sir Keir. Um, you know, we are so sorry and we mourn with the nation, blah, blah, blah. I think Clive Lewis uh, was actually uh, an exception there um, and did indicate that uh, the Queen wasn't uh, this marvel of a human being and um, that monarchy maybe wasn't such a good idea. So three cheers uh, for Clive uh, Lewis, but the rest of them pretty dreadful. And at least it's worthwhile asking the question of why is the LRC, why is the LRC being silent uh, on this question? Could it have anything to do 
uh, with their, their reliance um, on uh, the socialist campaign group uh, of MPs in, in the House of Commons. I, I, I don't know the answer, um, um, but I, I think it's quite remarkable uh, to be quiet um, uh, under these circumstances. Okay, socialist worker, good old socialist worker. Uh, they have a um, abolish the monarchy front page. Great. Um, I approve. Um, however, I have to say that the coverage doesn't really get it uh, because what they are trying to convey to their readers is basically that the royals are rich, which is true. Uh, and they report that now uh, Charles Windsor, uh, the man who calls himself... Um, Charles III, he's now a billionaire and uh, he's, he's inherited uh, the Queen's wealth uh, without paying any uh, taxes. Either way, he joins the billionaire class. Now, I don't know how many billionaires there are in Britain. Um, 100? 50? I haven't got a clue. Either way, he's clearly super rich. And that's true. You know, so the, the Crown um, owns huge uh, properties. Um, you know, I don't know whether the paintings are included, but they will be worth hundreds uh, uh, of millions. They got Leonardo's all over the place. But I, I still think that misses it. OK, so what else do they tell us? Um, they also say that the monarchy is covered in blood. And I had to think about that one and go, well, you know, there's, there's Ireland, isn't there? Yeah, um, you know, 68, 69, you know, bloody Sunday. Um, you know, Iraq, I've already mentioned, you know, the Falklands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, OK, but now what they're talking about is empire. And um, that's true. Um, you know, the British Empire was responsible for all manner of um, horrors, as all empires are. Um, this empire, though, was joined together with capitalism. Uh, so we get a capitalist trade in black skins. Um, and uh, attaching uh, the plantation system in the Americas uh, with Glasgow, Liverpool, Bristol um, into a, a triangle uh, of horror. And if we look at the British Empire in India, uh, again, uh, another story of massacres and um, human-made um, famines, de-development, de uh, the British takeover, Bengal, and uh, they don't want any competition when it comes to cotton. Um, so um, um, India uh, becomes their um, source of manpower when it comes to colonial wars. For example, in Africa, uh, not only uh, do they uh, hire civil servants and coolies, uh, they also uh, employ uh, uh, soldiers. So yes, in terms of the history of this family, uh, the Windsors, the Saxe-Coburgs, um, the Hanoverians. Um, that's a history of uh, bloodshed and horror. And we can talk about the regime at home. Um, you know, the average life expectancy uh, in Liverpool during the Industrial Revolution, I think, was something like 15 or 16. And it was the same in other big towns. Um, you know, the proletariat in Britain was literally being killed off and they had to rely on people coming from the countryside, but also rely on people coming from Ireland, something they were enthusiastic to do because of the potato famine, for example, in which I think something like a million people died and something like two million people um, went abroad, either to America um, or uh, to Britain. So I, I, I concur with socialist worker, but what they miss um, is the constitutional significance, the counter-revolutionary role uh, that the monarchy can play, and the fact that the monarchy can still mobilise large numbers. Um, and I, as I said, I've made the argument last week of why the monarchy is significant. It's nothing to do uh, with this individual and are they popular or that individual, they're unpopular. It's the nature of the institution itself uh, that we object to. And um, uh, the fact of the matter is, and it is significant, the army uh, swear loyalty to the monarch, not the constitution, not parliament. And we can go down the, the structure of the British state 
and the same will apply. And a, a monarch can dissolve parliament, a monarch can appoint a prime minister. And we're not talking about the personality of Elizabeth Windsor or the personality of Charles Windsor. We're talking about those in the Privy Council, uh, for example, um, who can tell a monarch uh, what to do um, under emergency uh, conditions. So socialist worker, you know, I like the spirit, uh, abolish the monarchy, yes, yes, yes. Um, but I don't think they get why we want to uh, abolish uh, the monarchy, uh, i.e. they cannot connect uh, the slogan of abolish the monarchy with our fight for extreme democracy and socialism. Uh, the, the, the thought doesn't occur uh, to the SWP and wouldn't occur to the SWP uh, because what they have is some sort of theory of spontaneity, uh, that it's people going on strike, it's people going on demonstrations uh, that produce you socialism. Now, we're not decrying strikes, we're not decrying demonstrations, but we are saying that political consciousness does matter and program uh, matters. And therefore, it was actually quite a pleasant um, surprise uh, to read a double page in The Socialist, which is the weekly publication of the Socialist Party in England and Wales by the General Secretary, uh, Hannah Sell. And uh, her article wasn't too bad because she precisely got the constitutional role of the monarchy right. Uh, she was able to talk about, you know, Gough Whitlam in Australia, uh, the potential um, of the monarchy, yes, to sack a, a prime minister in Britain, to, to appoint a prime minister, the, the army, the secret service. She was actually spot on. And I was going, this is really good, um, um, Hannah, until I got uh, um, to uh, the party question. And then, and, and then she said, oh, the party that we fight for, the party that we want will be committed to abolishing the monarchy and uh, the House of Lords and getting away, you know, sweeping away all of that. I thought, yes, that's pretty good. And then she said, that's why we're backing Tusk. Now, Tusk is the Trade Union and Socialist Coalition. And this is a, an umbrella um, organization. It was founded by SPEW along with the rail union, uh, RMT, and has involved other unions and other sections of the left at various times. So I think at various times, the fire brigades union was on board. Uh, the SWP ha has been on board. The prison officers, amazingly, shows what a change has gone on in that particular neck of the woods. Used to be an incredibly right-wing union, now is a left-wing union, at least it was last time it was affiliated to Tusk. But what is noticeable about Tusk um, is that uh, while individual components uh, of it can campaign um, on um, their own priorities and on their own programme, um, if you look at uh, uh, the joint programme of Tusk, it's purely about economics. It's purely about wages and conditions and trade union laws. Nothing about the constitution and of course nothing, surely, uh, about uh, the war in Ukraine, the proxy war, NATO's proxy war, America's proxy war, which Britain uh, is fully uh, behind, nothing about that. And indeed, when the Socialist Party is part of that, when SPEW is part of that uh, campaign, do they raise the question of uh, Ukraine? Do they raise the question of the monarchy? Do they raise the question of the House of Lords? No, they don't. Uh, and certainly when we have questioned them, for example, do you want to abolish the standing army? Do you want the Republican demand of a popular militia? Uh, we've been told by their, their leader in uh, uh, Tusk, that's Dave Nellis, the former Labour MP. I don't know which part of Coventry, but he was a Coventry uh, Labour MP. Got kicked out. Uh, we, we, he says, well, I'll answer that question after. Uh, the election. They don't want to go there. They just want to stick to what is called bread and, and butter uh, issues. And I've already illustrated why that's inadequate, uh, because the, the state doesn't limit itself uh, to bread and butter uh, issues. 
it operates both at that level, but it also operates at the level of what we call high politics, international politics, constitutional uh, politics. It can introduce uh, the Ukraine war uh, into an election. And then what do we do? If we haven't won uh, the argument over the Ukraine war, then they attack us as being agents of Putin. If we haven't won the argument over the monarchy, well, I'm not saying they will kill off a monarch, uh, but they can introduce the monarchy question. Are you loyal uh, uh, to the monarch? Uh, all of these questions cannot be avoided. And if you try to avoid them, uh, they will ensure that you cannot uh, avoid them. So with Hannah Searle's article, a good beginning, uh, but what you end up with is classic economism, um, an, an avoidance of high politics and a belief that somehow uh, through trade union struggles, uh, you can arrive uh, at socialism, uh, a profound uh, and um, endlessly repeated um, uh, formula. Okay, I also think it's worthwhile mentioning the Morning Star and uh, the Communist Party of Britain. Um, they've not been too bad. Um, you know, so plenty of coverage. At one point, uh, when I think uh, uh, under a former editor, I think it was Tony Chater was editor, they used to have quite an endearing um, policy of covering royal events, um, you know, with a quarter of an inch um, announcement along the lines of um, traffic was disrupted in central London yesterday. Um, because of a marriage between two people. I mean, I thought that was quite amusing. So when, for example, um, Diana Spencer and Charles Windsor got married, that's the sort of coverage they gave it, where in the rest of the press, of course, it was wall-to-wall -wall pictures and um, editorialising and uh, what a wonderful marriage this is. It's made in heaven and uh, ghastly stuff uh, like that, but clearly inadequate. Uh, when it comes to educating the left about the nature of the state and the importance of treat, you know, uh, the, the importance, um, you know, that high politics uh, have uh, in life. So this time round, they haven't done that, which I think is good. And instead, yeah, they've been producing, you know, reasonable um, articles, treating those, uh, you know, trying to get uh, a grip on, you know, the, the, this... Uh, millions of people being mobilized and the constitutional significance um, um, of the monarchy. However, again, just like with um, Hannah Sell and her double page article, it falls down when it comes to practice. So one of the big campaigns uh, that the CPB has been conducting uh, recently is around this idea of what they call progressive federalism. And uh, basically what they're advocating is more powers uh, to the Scottish Parliament up there in Holyrood, uh, more powers for the Welsh Assembly in Cardiff, and some sort of um, more autonomy uh, for Cornwall um, and um, um, Okay, you know, I'm, well, I'm not going to comment um, um, on the specifics of it, but what they leave out um, is the question of the monarchy. So what we actually have is the CPB campaigning for a federal monarchy, which sort of, comrades, that's what we've got. So in other words, what is being proposed is tinkering uh, with the existing constitutional arrangement. And this is their weapon against, in particular, uh, the Scottish National Party in um, Scotland, uh, and their proposal for a second referendum, what they want, they're not going to get it, uh, is a second uh, question. Um, do you want uh, independence? Yes, no. And they want uh, another question. Do you want progressive federalism? Well, I don't think the Scottish National Party will get their referendum. That's my bet. Uh, and the CPB definitely won't get their uh, question um, on the ballot paper. What's it mean? Um, it basically means retaining the unity of the United Kingdom. Now, we're in favour of the unity of the working class, but we're in favour of the unity of the working class in the fight for a federal republic. Why federal? Uh, because we recognise the existence of a national question in Scotland, a national question in Wales, 
certainly a national question in Ireland. We stand for a united Ireland, um, but we are committed to overthrowing uh, the existing constitution, not tinkering with the existing uh, constitution. So yes, the Morning Star can be praised uh, for the fact that it isn't ignoring um, you know, the death of a monarch and uh, the coming uh, to, the, to the throne of another monarch. That's uh, good. They haven't done a momentum. They haven't done an LRC. On the other hand, when it comes to practice, just like the Socialist Party, uh, what we have is, an, is a reliance on strikes. And when it comes to constitutional uh, demands, uh, we have mere tinkering uh, with the monarchical uh, a constitution and nothing more than that. Okay, so here's a question. What happens after the morning um, is finished? Um, well, do we go back to normal? Well, yes and no. Of course, we'll have, um, you know, a new monarch, we'll have new, new, new banknotes, new coins, new stamps. Um, Heinz ketchup sauce will be rebranded, you know, with royal blessing, not from Her Majesty, but from His Majesty. King's councillors will come in as a, we would now be speaking the King's English, blah, blah, blah. So changes like that. But clearly, um, the death of um, a monarch has been a blessing in disguise as far as the establishment is concerned. I agree with the idea, at least it sort of it, it has credibility uh, that the Queen and her advisors, when they looked at her health, uh, basically came to the conclusion, where do you want to die? Or where do I want to die? And I think the decision was made by her, at least with her um, acceptance, that she would die in Scotland. And that would allow uh, some sort of um, hearse to travel down from Aberdeenshire uh, to the capital, to Scotland, where she would, um, lie, you know, lie in, in state and people could file past her. And, and this would help uh, in terms of um, uh, re-sew up um, the unravelling uh, United Kingdom. And I think it has played some sort of role um, um, in, in, in that. And it's allowed the monarchists, uh, the establishment, uh, to cut in uh, to the Scottish National Party, note Nicola Sturgeon bowing and scraping and, um, you know, expressing her remorse to King Charles, her King Charles. Uh, she doesn't question uh, the monarchy. And it's also allowed the establishment to rally two million, who knows how many millions um, in terms of um, elsewhere in, in the country. And it's allowed Liz Truss in, in that sense uh, to, um, how should you put it, Trump, yeah, I think that's a reasonable word, the, the strikes for the moment. Now, of course, the economic crisis will continue. Uh, Britain is either in recession or is going towards a recession. 100 million uh, borrowing, 100 billion, remember, 150 billion uh, will not stop that. So maybe inflation slightly um, cools down uh, because of that borrowing, but interest rates will go up as a result of it. We're told at the next meeting of the Bank of England, they are going to put interest rates up. That will hit people with um, certain mortgages, not all mortgages, but some people who are not on a fixed rate uh, interest mortgage will be hit very hard uh, by increased interest rates. And so was all these businesses, these zombie uh, businesses that have been surviving on the basis of cheap borrowing. And we should expect a lot of businesses to go out of business uh, and a lot of workers uh, to become unemployed. And therefore, uh, for those capitalists that can retain um, a sufficient level of profitability, the labour market should become more relaxed. And maybe uh, they can look towards um, fending off um, what they would view as extravagant pay demands. Well, there ain't no extravagant pay demands. Most of the pay demands that uh, the unions are putting forward are just all we want to do is keep up with inflation. And what we've had certainly from government-backed um, em employers, 
uh, not least the railways. The railways depend on public finances. They are not profitable by themselves. Uh, what we're being uh, told is the offer is 2%, 2% when inflation uh, is now well above uh, 10% um, and could be going way, way uh, uh, beyond uh, that. So what else do we have? We have the pound going down. Uh, that's in part because basically, um, they, you know, people are looking at the economic health of Britain and saying it ain't healthy, it's looking sick, partially because of the strengthening um, of the dollar. Um, so the, the dollar has gone up and therefore the pound has gone down. But as I say, it's not just because of the um, um, rise of the uh, dollar. And of course, what we've got is the ongoing crisis, the ongoing constitutional crisis uh, in Britain. Um, so Scottish independence hasn't gone away. Welsh rumblings haven't gone away. And of course, then we have Ireland and the possibility uh, at least of a, um, a border poll. That has to be agreed by the British. Uh, but at the moment, after all, we've got a first minister in uh, Belfast who's Sinn Féin. Um, so, you know, the United Kingdom uh, remains um, uh, a very dubious uh, prospect. And on top of that, uh, we've got Brexit, which we were told uh, uh, was all about um, people regaining control. I don't think people feel in control. Uh, I think that's the last thing uh, people feel. Uh, it's forces uh, beyond government um, um, that, are, that are hitting uh, Britain. Either way, uh, what we will also have is another string in the royalist um, bow, remember, and that's a coronation. And that will happen, I would guess, next year. Uh, it will be a happy rerun um, of the funeral. So again, I would expect a uh, hundred at least heads of state to arrive in London and another million people uh, to um, throng the streets to welcome King Charles and the Queen Consort uh, when they get crowned uh, uh, king, and, uh, king and Queen. Um, so another opportunity uh, for the establishment. However, uh, for what it's worth, and it ain't worth anything, I'm not going to the betting shop, but my guess is, you know, we're told that Liz Truss, and obviously a fact, the, the um, fourth prime minister in six years, is it? No, it's the, yeah, fourth prime minister in six years. I got it right. Yeah, I did get it right. Well, my prediction is that uh, we'll soon be seeing another uh, prime minister. And my guess is, for what it's worth, sitting here, uh, is that it will be Keir Starmer. Uh, I was never <laughs> convinced at the beginning that Starmer wasn't interested in getting into number 10. All he wanted to do was purge the left. The left was just a sacrificial lamb. Um, getting rid of Jeremy Corbyn had nothing to do with the power of Jeremy Corbyn in the Labour Party. Uh, this was just to demonstrate um, you know, I am loyal to America. I'm an Atlanticist. I will stick with Israel while America sticks with Israel. Uh, we will stick by America in the Ukraine war. Um, we're a safe pair of hands. And certainly if we are, it's still in the middle of a strike wave. Um, I think an awful lot of capitalists um, would actually think uh, that Keir Starmer will be better at dampening down trade union militancy uh, than Liz Truss. Now, maybe I'm mistaken, and maybe the capitalist class think that uh, Liz Truss is uh, the one to do it and smash uh, the trade unions. And we shouldn't discount that possibility uh, in the same way uh, that Margaret Thatcher, having delayed uh, confrontation with the working class, waiting for the Falklands War, you know, something will turn up sort of Irish, was deeply unpopular uh, to begin with, uh, wins the Falklands War and then goes on to take on the miners. And they've been preparing, remember, to take on the miners when they were in opposition way back in the mid 1970s when they lost the general election in 74. Uh, the Tories were preparing for their confrontation with the miners. You know, what power stations do we need? How are we going to supply 
can we get something other alternative to coal, except all these plans were made. Now, I don't know, maybe Liz Trust will play the um, Ukraine card. I don't know. Maybe she'll play the Taiwan card. I don't know. Either way, um, uh, uh, I don't think the Tories are in a strong position now uh, to actually go for the trade unions. Not that the trade unions are strong. Uh, it's just that the government, to me, uh, looks weak. But as I said, I could be completely wrong. And maybe they do. Maybe they introduce um, a strike ban uh, because we're in the middle of a war. Maybe they commit, uh, you know, British boots on the ground. We're talking about advisors, not fighters. But they up the ante um, with the agreement, of course, of the Americans. I don't know. Uh, either way, uh, I still suspect on balance uh, that we will be looking at a fifth uh, prime minister. I would have thought within a year or two, um, and depending on the opinion polls and by-elections, it's more likely to be two, isn't it? Okay, moving on, what's the time? It's all time to start to wrap up, and I'll very quickly um, finish off. First of all, with the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of China, that meets next month. Um, October the 16th, I think, is when it opens. And the press coverage that I've read um, is talking about, are they going to enshrine Z thought alongside Mao and Deng? Um, is um, Z going to be a general secretary uh, and therefore one presumes president uh, for as long as he wants it? Um, it would seem so, again, I'm in no position to know, but that seems to be what he's angling for. Um, but for the left and for me, uh, China does represent something of a conundrum. What sort of country is this? How do you classify uh, this uh, uh, country? And it's clearly, it's clearly a um, central question. Uh, to modern uh, politics, it's uh, not only the um, the most populous. No, it's not the most populous, is it? It's the second most populous country now in the world. Chi China's been overtaken, if I remember right, by India. Okay, so it's the second most populous uh, country on the planet, but also it's the second um, economy. Uh, it's next to the United States, and I know it's got a lot more people than the United States. So when it comes to per capita production, it's way, way behind. But nonetheless, it is the second uh, economy. And I'm, I will now, in, in, you know, in my office here, I will be surrounded by uh, Chinese products. You know, I suspect that the computer screen I'm looking at um, is made in China. The camera I've got there, I suspect, is made in China. The microphone, I suspect, is made in China. Uh, I suspect my iPhone is made in China. We're surrounded, um, you know, by Chinese products, um, often with uh, Western companies, of course, uh, realizing most of the surplus value um, um, of Chinese labor. In other words, my iPhone um, profits are going to go to Apple. Uh, not um, a Chinese company that's responsible for the manufacture. Um, um, of it. Either way, what sort of a country is it? Well, you know, under Mao, uh, I could have given you a reasonable answer. My um, catch-all uh, designation was bureaucratic socialism. This was a sort of copy, uh, copy, mark you, um, of Stalin's Soviet Union. Um, it didn't have the same sort of revolution as Russia. Um, it had a different um, sort of revolution. It was a peasant-based revolution. Okay, conducted by a party, um, you know, with an official communist um, ideology. Um, anyway, it establishes and it copies Stalin's uh, Russia. You know, five-year plans, nationalized industry very quickly. Mao goes on to form um, communes in the countryside, collective farms. Um, officially, uh, China um, is a people's democracy. Um, so um, 
uh, it's worthwhile looking at these sort of symbols because sometimes they can come back to matter. Um, so for example, uh, the Chinese flag, most people don't know what that's all about, some pretty stars. What, what are the stars? Um, well, my understanding is that the stars stand for People's Liberation Army, the peasants, the petty bourgeoisie, maybe I'm getting my numbers wrong, and the working class. And then you have a big star, and that stands for China. But I think one of the stars, if I get it, get it right, maybe I've made a mistake already, stands for the national bourgeoisie. And uh, when people talk about uh, China being a one-party state, uh, it's not true. It's effectively a one-party state, but in the same way as Eastern Europe was effectively a one-party state. But other parties do exist. And what, of course, happened in Eastern Europe is that uh, as bureaucratic socialism disintegrated, these parties sometimes became real. Um, you know. So usually what they used to have in Eastern Europe, I don't know enough about China, is the deputy would be a former member of the Communist Party. Um, it would be that sort of arrangement. And so they'd have this sort of figurehead bourgeois party. They even had a former Nazi party, party for former Nazis in East Germany, for example. Um, anyway, uh, my point would be uh, that while you've still got a big state sector uh, in terms of industry, that's not the case any longer with agriculture. Um, you have a, um, a sort of free proletariat in the Marxist sense uh, that people come from the countryside, get work in the city as unofficial workers. They don't have you know, rights for education, healthcare for their children, that's back at home. So they are second class workers. Um, but in the main, there's the buying and selling of labor power, which didn't exist in the Soviet Union. There was no buying, there was no labor market. Um, the, the ruble wasn't money and wages weren't wages. Um, you have to call wages in the Soviet Union, so-called wages. They were more the equivalent to an allowance. They had no relationship uh, to value or anything like that. The law of value didn't operate, but China, um, you know, you can't say that there's an absence of the law of value. Uh, money operates as some sort of money in, in a way that it didn't operate uh, in the Soviet Union. And of course, you've got a giant, not only agricultural private sector, you've got a giant uh, private sector when it comes to, you know, prop, um, you know real estate, uh, when it comes to tech uh, companies, uh, some of the world's biggest companies uh, are Chinese. But at the same time, it's clear that the Communist Party is in command. So you can have some billionaire in China that's told by the state, uh, we think it's a good idea that you spend more time on the golf course. Uh, we think it's a very good idea that you go to prison. Um, you know, um, these people, uh, these billionaires in China are not in command. Uh, we're not talking about an oligarchy. If we want an oligarchy, um, Ukraine is a good example of it. Russia isn't a good example of it. And China isn't a good example of it, except, of course, what has been going on, given that you've got the development of capitalism in China, and clearly you have, is that uh, what about the sons and daughters of um, Chinese bureaucrats? Um, are they just budding bureaucrats or do they have, you know, um, fingers in the pie of capitalism? Well, often these people are precisely uh, big capitalists in their own right. And what we have is, I don't know when it was uh, agreed, but quite a few years ago now, the Communist Party agreed to allow capitalists uh, to join it. Now, I've read some idiot left press, you know, the pro-Chinese um, left press. Uh, which you can include the Morning Star, Socialist Action, and other such uh, publications. And I've been I've read in these publications, oh, it doesn't really matter because uh, there's only a few of them. Well, that's like precisely me saying, it doesn't matter about billionaires in Britain. There's only a few of them. I mean, when it comes to having a vote, Charles III doesn't even have a vote. So he, his wealth doesn't, doesn't matter. That doesn't count. Or in America, I don't know how many billionaires there are, but if we threw away a figure and I said a thousand, 
doesn't matter about them. There's only a, they only have a thousand votes. Well, yeah, but they have capital, they have money, they can buy parties, they can buy politicians. And that's the power uh, of uh, capital. So what's going on in China, I think, is extraordinarily uh, complex. Where it's going, um, I don't know. And what I'll finish with in terms of China is just to say that the argument that I have heard, well, the state hasn't been overthrown. It doesn't wash with me. Um, I mean, if you look at Eastern Europe, um, in general, the state stayed intact. So it's true that the Stasi no longer exists in East Germany. But what about the KGB in both Ukraine and Russia? Well, it doesn't call itself the KGB, it calls itself the FSB, but it is the KGB. Uh, the army in Russia doesn't call itself the Red Army, hasn't called itself the Red Army since I think 1943. Um, either way, um, it is the continuation of the Soviet army. And one can go and look at Romania and Bulgaria and Albania, and you'll find the same uh, phenomenon. So I don't think that it's the state uh, that's the crucial uh, question. Um, and my own view anyway, um, is that, um, you know, the, the state in these uh, uh, countries um, was inherently unstable uh, because the social formation which they presided over was inherently unstable. Uh, how stable China is, uh, I don't uh, know. And, um, um, you know, I, I just, I need to study more. I need to learn more before I come to a judgment. What I would say, though, is that those on the prostituted left um, who follow China and talk about socialism with Chinese characteristics, um, I think they are um, hopeless. I, I don't think that what we're dealing with is the transition to communism. If it's anything, it's the transition the other way uh, that's going on. Uh, that's my uh, assessment of it. And I think it's just worth saying that because uh, over the recent weeks, we've not only had the death of um, Elizabeth Windsor, of course, we've had the death of uh, Gorbachev. And throughout the left, what we've had is, uh, oh, well, yeah, he was completely a disaster. He was completely dreadful. Go away and read what these people said at the time. And what we had is people like Tariq Ali, what we had is people like Jerry Healy from the Workers' Revolutionary Party, the editor of the Morning Star famously called Gorbachev the Lenin of our day. Uh, all of that's been forgotten, but they've simply swapped uh, one um, you know, source of largesse, the Soviet Union, for another source of largesse, uh, which is uh, China. And what's the, what's the point of these people uh, just to hold up a mirror uh, uh, to China and not to study it, not to criticize it, not to try to analyze um, what it is and where it's uh, uh, going. To me, uh, again, just to use a, a label, but it isn't just a label, uh, I think that what we've got is a, a sort of social formation of the sort that we should expect in a period like this where the working class needs to come to power, must come to power, uh, and yet can't uh, come to power. Uh, what we're dealing with is a decadent, declining capitalism, uh, but where the alternative uh, can't yet uh, manifest itself in a decisive uh, fashion. Anyway, just a, a few quick uh, comments uh, at the end. I've got allowing myself one minute here, Stan. Sweden, uh, we have uh, the election um, defeat of the Social Democrats, a three-seat majority by the right. What government will form, I don't know. It could be a grand coalition on the sort of German model, because of course what we have in terms of the second party is the Swedish Democrats, and they have their roots in neo-Nazism, or Nazism, let's just call it that, real Nazism, stiff arm, Hitler worship, and all the rest of it. Remember, uh, Sweden was neutral in World War II, never went through any process of denazification. Um, we've all read our um, Stig Larsson, if we haven't read our Stig Larsson, at least we've seen the films, haven't we? 
uh, and know uh, the history of Nazism in Sweden. Either way, what I would emphasize is um, uh, any idea of uh, forming a bloc with bourgeois parties to stop the Swedish Democrats, uh, that is suicidal uh, for the left. And to illustrate it, let's just go and look at, to go from Northern Europe to Southern Europe, and it looks like we'll get a fascist prime minister uh, very soon, Giorgia Meloni, who's head of the um, Italian, uh, the Brotherhood of Italy, which has its roots in the MSI, which was established by a former minister of uh, Mussolini's, whose slogan uh, they have adopted, God, family and, and fatherland. It looks like that she will come um, uh, into office, will be elected uh, prime minister. Uh, her party will be the biggest bloc uh, in the Italian parliament after, well, in front of the Liga and in front of uh, Force Italia. Uh, of Berlusconi. These parties were part of a broad coalition. Where do people turn to? Uh, not the former communists, not the former um, Christian Democrats in the um, Democrat Party, uh, not to uh, Five Star, which was part of this grand coalition, not to Berlusconi, not to uh, Salvini, but to the far, far right, um, who weren't associated uh, with this um, grand uh, uh, coalition. And so the idea that, uh, and I, I want to say this, that seemed to be put over by Toby Absey in last week's paper, that uh, it would be a good idea uh, for the Democrat Party and Five Star to get together um, in a coalition uh, to fight this election. I think Toby is an absolutely hopeless perspective disastrous perspective. And at least Toby Absey had the virtue of when this Five Star Movement first came to prominence of pointing out that this is not a left-wing party of any sort. This is an anti-migrant right-wing uh, uh, party. And so you had socialist worker talking about it being anti-establishment, Tariq Ali uh, welcoming its rise. Uh, no, Toby Absey played a good role in exposing Five Star. The idea that you would stop um, the Brotherhood of Italy uh, by uh, calling for and voting for, presumably, a coalition block of uh, the Democrat Party and Five Star, no, that's hopeless. That's popular front politics of the worst, worst kind. You know, anyway, so no, no. Uh, and just lastly, um, just wanted to say Ukraine. Um, last week, uh, I was saying that it looked like stalemate. If we look at the Southern offensive, it uh, looked like it was taking a village here and a village there. To me, uh, what we now seem to be facing is potentially a tipping point. And I don't think it's because the Russian army is about to collapse. That could happen. If we look at what's happened in the Northeast, it's conceivable. Uh, that the morale of the army just breaks and people get on their bikes and just head uh, out uh, to the east into Russia. That's conceivable. But I do think uh, that we're at the point of where uh, if we look at the securocracy, we're looking at the ruling state circle in um, Moscow, um, it's quite conceivable that Putin's time is up and they will move him into a sanatorium and say that this was Putin's war and uh, go for some sort of um, deal with Ukraine and the West. Now, final point, America wants total victory, wants total victory in Ukraine. That means everything back. That's what Zelensky has been saying. That means uh, not only Donbass, um, that, that doesn't only mean the South, that means Crimea, that means Russia's port in Sevastopol, which means their access to the Mediterranean. Um, and I don't think America stops there, uh, because what Biden has made clear is that they want to degrade Russia's military ability. And also what we have, in my view, is a drive ultimately uh, with China in mind. So if you do get the fall of Putin, which I think is likely after all, none of us live forever, 
and he's associated with a disastrous war. I think it's very likely that Putin will go soon. Um, but America and America's uh, push uh, to reassert and to, um, yeah, uh, rebuild its uh, hegemony uh, continues. Now, whether that's going to be successful, uh, that's another question. But uh, we're not going to have, quote unquote, normal times of capitalist peace, of where everything is sweetness and light and uh, the gas starts to flow and um, um, everyone is happy. Uh, America wants another Yeltsin um, in uh, the Kremlin. Um, that's it. Thank you, Stan.